We praise your name, Lord, and we just celebrate your love, Lord, and your kindness and your goodness, that you're the source of everything good, Lord. And we just pray this morning that we can just focus on that, Lord. We can just focus on your beautiful name, Lord, and just that everything, everything else can just kind of quiet out and we can just really take this time to focus on, on your word and what really matters and the plan that you have for us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and say hello to someone next to you, and then you can have a seat. Good morning. Everyone make sure you notice the communion cup on your seat before you sit down. Good morning. Did everyone see the communion cups? I, 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 it's a great place to put them, but I know I was going to see someone walking out with a, with a grape, grape juice explosion on the back of their pants. Everyone's, everyone's good? Okay. Yeah. If not, you can use Ryan's prayer as a, as a quick exit. You're good. Uh, well, hey, my name is Chad Frontier. I'm the associate pastor here, and I had a couple quick announcements for you before we jump into uh, the message and uh, a new series that we're going to be doing for most of the summer. Uh, first of all, how many guys were at the uh, golf tournament? Is that Saturday morning? Did well? Yeah, I heard 20-something guys there, and uh, I heard Luke found his new calling in life, right? Yeah, so much for fishing. Won both the competitions. Very awesome. We always look forward for opportunities like that just to get, get guys together in the church, and, and ladies in the women's ministry is the same. Uh, you know, we believe that community is best done amongst friends. Um, and scripture even speaks to that, just the, the significance of, of you experiencing friendship within the church. Uh, so definitely look for those. We got a couple announcements coming up, and uh, the first is that today is our launch class. Now, uh, this is an important class. If you've been attending the church for a while, but you're, you're interested in, in, in getting a little more involved, uh, we always encourage all of our volunteers to actually go through this class because it, it's helpful to understand who we are as a church. We talk about our values. We talk about our organization, the eldership, the staff, uh, what our goals are as a church, and uh, that if you're, if you're helping to... To, to help build this church together that you know who we are and where we're going. Uh, and that'll be after service, 1130 to 1 on the patio out there. And there's lunch, so there, that, that, that's definitely positive. Uh, next is Rancho La Hermosa. Now, this is an orphanage that we spent a lot of time looking for. Uh, we knew we wanted to do uh, some ministry and a cross-cultural experience. Uh, and so in Mexico, so close. We were looking around there. Um, but you know what? We're... Uh, a church that has a lot of families. And so one of my biggest priorities when we were looking was somewhere that, that felt uh, safe enough and, um, and structured well enough that people would actually even feel comfortable bringing families. And, and did we find it ever? It's, it's incredible. Um, it is a beautiful um, piece of land isolated in these hills just a couple miles inland of Puerto Nuevo. Um, Los Gaviotas is kind of around there if you're familiar with that area. But there's a toll road that goes straight from the border all the way there. So it is uh, a very safe trip, a very, very enjoyable trip. Every time I go, I feel like it's a bit of a personal retreat as we're going and doing either some uh, construction projects or just playing with the kids. Last time, we just brought some kickballs and, and, uh, and candy and, and just hung out for the day. Uh, so definitely consider that. That is Saturday, June 19th. 
that's coming up soon, and you can sign up for that on the app or website, and you'll get some more details. But we, we caravan and carpool down there together and, and, and have a fun day with it. And then next uh, is the Father's Day service. It's going to be June 20th. And there's actually these flyers in the foyer. Uh, they'll give you some more details. But we've done this every year except for last year. Thank you, COVID. But, uh, but anyways, so this is a very exciting, very fun thing we do. Um, you know, Father's Day historically is one of the least attended services in, in church. Um, and we heard that and we're like, let's try and change that. And so we have made that one of our most exciting days of the year. And uh, we put together a, a classic car show. Uh, TK Burger food truck comes. And, and uh, it's going to be a very fun celebration. It'll be right after service. It'll be service, but then it'll be right after service in the park area. So definitely come and check out that. And that's definitely something to bring, uh, you know, anyone you uh, know who might think be looking for a church or, or your own dad. Right? Well, good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Um, I cut my hair. I'm just going to get it out of the way. Nature was doing its work. I thought I'd finish it off for it, so why not? Let's get ahead of the game. Um, if you're new here, which I think some of you are, it's so great that I can see faces. I'm not going to lie, because now I can tell who attends church and who doesn't on a weekly basis, so everybody needs to know. Uh, but I, I do love seeing new faces, and if I have not got the chance to meet you or Chad or any of our staff, we'd love to meet you. And um, thank you for coming and just observing the church and see if this is a place maybe for you or um, if it's a, if it's a place that maybe you could find yourself or your family uh, fitting and being a part of our church family. So we want to welcome you. Um, listen, <clears throat> we're starting a new series today and it's g- going to be a great series. Uh, it, we're starting a series on uh, David and just his life, his character, these monumental moments in his life. We're going to go all summer long and uh, if you ever miss one of the messages in the series, just go back and listen to it on the podcast or on YouTube, and so you can kind of catch up to where we are in the journey. It will be very, very helpful. Today is, you know, since we're going to introduce this series, it, it's going to be a lot about who David is. You know, when you talk about a, a probably one of the most prominent characters in the Bible, uh, it's easy to go, yeah, I've heard the stories, but my goal today is to uh, help you see a part of the plan of David, how David even got to be David. Uh, who was he in, the, in all of these moments we're going to talk about? And really, who is God in all of this process and why it's so significant to know the story of David, especially as it relates to Christ. And so I'm really excited about this series. And one of the things I think just thinking about this is the theme, if you will, of the whole uh, journey throughout David's life will be really ultimately this. And I think this summarizes David is he lived a life of obedience. Now, I think what he's most known for is uh, for slaying Goliath and, uh, and then being with Bathsheba, right? And I think we can kind of focus on those moments of which we'll definitely be talking about. But the difference between David and his predecessor Saul, who was anointed king first, which we'll talk about a little bit today, is that Saul, his disobedience, you have to remember this when you think of David, his disobedience, Saul's, was that he he wouldn't listen to God 
guidance, instructions. He would listen to the people. And this wasn't the kind of governance God was wanting from his leader. David, in, in, in his false, in his frailty, in his humanity, uh, would always listen to God. And, you know, when I look at Saul's great downfall, it will be because of he heard what God said to, to do for his people, and Saul would only do what the people wanted. But God always knew best. David was a man who was after God's own heart, but he was a very relatable person, just like us. I think he might be one of the most relatable people in the Bible. So if you're uh, here and you're going, you know, sometimes the Bible characters seem way out of touch. But David is one of those that we just want to really open up his life. He wrote a lot through the Psalms that tell us about his mental state or spiritual state. I, th- I hope a lot of us can find, like, inspiration and healing, uh, the ability to lament and, and, and grieve, and also to trust God with everything that we got. Our series passage, uh, I love this passage. It was written a thousand years after David's reign. And even after a thousand years, Saul, who is known as Paul in the Bible, writes this. Actually, Luke writes about what Paul is preaching. It's one of Paul's very first big sermons. He gathers Israel together and he wants to tell them that this Messiah, this true king, has now come. And he also tells them that although David was great, but David died. But this king rose again. And he's bringing the entire history of Israel into context to the revelation of Jesus. But this is what he says about um, David, and he chooses to focus on the one thing I think David should be highlighted for above all, and he chooses to focus on David's obedience. Acts 13, it should be up on the screen. And when he had removed him, he's talking about Saul, he, God, raised up David to be their king, or Israel's king, of whom he testified and said, God saying this, I have found in David a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now we can get caught there, but the most important one is next. Who will do all, uh, who will do all my will? Whatever God asks David to do, David will do it. He's obedient. And he's obedient because God loves his people and he needs a leader like that. And I think that he, it'll be such a good example for us as believers that being obedient to what God's calling us to, his will, what he's asking us to do, it pleases God. He elevates you when you do that in your life. I would say this, David's life has been definitely the subject of a ton of sermons, Bible studies, all throughout history, examples of what to do, what not to do, right? How many times have you read a psalm that maybe David had written and it brought your life encouragement or you related to the psalm? How many times would you just talk about some of the stories of David's great faith and triumph or see God's character in that story? And I think all throughout history, we've been able to learn from this great character of the Bible. But David's story, though, it seems like almost ever since he died, he became this myth in a way. He almost became in some ways legendary, but in some ways infamous. And so I think culture was captivated by David's story. Uh, Our culture has been captivated all throughout history, our imagination, our interest. This first thing probably might just strike you as one of the 
the, uh, I think, features that captured David, like this figure, right? So it's Michelangelo's, no, not that one. There you go. Thankfully, he has the leaves there. So I think that's why this one's a good one to put up. Okay, so this is the original David statue. And before they moved it in 1873, it was outside and they brought it in. But that, that statue just captivated people of like, wow, like this figure was bigger than life. I mean, the statue was huge and, um, and it was on the mind of some of the greatest artists in history. You may not know this, but from the 1500s to the 1900s, uh, the, uh, uh, the French would distribute these cards for playing cards, you know, the ones we traditionally have with queens, kings, right, aces. And uh, for a long period of time, they would put a different king on each one of those. The king of spades was David, right? So every time you see that, that was just a part of how they thought of David as an honored king throughout history. The movie, 1951, David and Bathsheba, real spicy movie, right? It was nominated for five Academy Awards. It cost a whopping $2.7 million to make, and they made $4.7 in profit. And it was a huge movie. I think it was at Gregory Peck. You can watch it in Technicolor. That's amazing, Right? And then, you know, uh, in 1985, Richard Gere tried a, a shot at it. Don't read the Rotten Tomato reviews on that. It's terrible. 1997, Disney produced a Broadway play of David. Did you know this? It was quickly removed because it was too close to the Bible and not spicy enough. So the reviews were all, it felt like I was in Bible school again, or it felt like I was uh, in, in children's. Uh, class learning about the Bible. It just wasn't good, so they canceled it. But they tried to make a push at it. And the most fascinating was is in 1991, the great artist Sting actually wrote an entire song about David and Bathsheba from David's perspective. And so he even did a music video if you want to watch it. Okay. So David was this huge character of the Bible. Thousands of books have been written about David leadership books. I even found one, sadly, about like a smut romance novel about David and Bathsheba. That was tragic and led me down a really tragic road of like, wow, why are they writing these things about characters in the Bible? Scary. Um, but I think it's important that we learn who David really was. We have a lot of ideas of who he was, but I think we should really dig in and really as a church just look at who this figure was and why he was so important and how he can be inspirational for us. So, like, if you look at this timeline that's thrown up here, this would be kind of like the, a really simple timeline. I liked it because it had icons, and so they were kind of fun. And, you know, we can start from this, the writings of creation, right? And we can see where David lands right there in 1000 B.C., right? And whoever did this timeline, I thought it was funny because they went all the way to Columbus and America and then today. I thought, okay, well, okay, whatever. And so, but the, the thing is, is that I, I do appreciate these types of timelines. They're giving us who would be our major characters. We see these are covenant people along the way. These are significant covenants God's made with these highlighted characters along the way. David is one of them God makes a covenant with. But if you want to go a little bit closer, I have all of these in my sermon notes that are on the app. And so I have these images too. So they're good to look through. This one's pretty good. Um, not this one, the next one. 
Okay, so this is kind of a breakdown of David's life. And you can kind of see the span of his journey. Uh, I really appreciated this because they, they tried their best. They're not 100% accurate, but they tried their best to line up where the Psalms are written along the journey of his life when he was crowned king of Judah and then ultimately all of Israel and just kind of giving you the highlights of his life. That's a good one if you want to do a study of David. You can grab that on the sermon notes. It'll be pretty informative for, uh, for you. But I will say this. Let me give you some things that we don't really talk about with David. David was the grandson of Ruth, through the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is this impossible story of redemption. And so David comes from this line of redemption. And so God's starting to shape a story for Israel. David's from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And so that's why uh, Mary and Joseph went to the town of Bethlehem. He was born there. He was raised there. David was anointed as king in Bethlehem, which is very significant to why Christ was born in Bethlehem. He was from the tribe of Judah. There was 12 tribes uh, from Jacob, and uh, Abraham was, I'm oh, sorry, um, and Judah was the son as known as the one who uh, prevails over them all. It's significant in the story, especially for the writing of First and Second Samuel, because Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, who was anointed really ultimately by the people. And David is from the tribe of Judah, the one who prevails over all. Saul is not from a more dominant tribe. David's tribe is. But it's just showing this contrast that who God is going to appoint is one who will overcome all because it's his choice. And David was anointed king secretly, but he waited 21 years before he became king over all of Israel. I don't know about you, but there's so much we can learn from even his journey of waiting in the wings, right? And he's not like an acting vice president. He's just waiting in the wings. He is anointed king by God, and he's patient, and he honors the current king the best he can, even while the king is trying to kill David. There's a lot about his character uh, and how he views God and honoring God. David wrote about 85 of the 150 psalms that you read. So he did not write them all. But most people can identify between 70 and 85 psalms. And most of his were about lament and praise. And so he has this real part of them that feels almost sometimes like you're reading it like, God, you're so great. You're so great. You're great. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? I don't know. Where are you? I don't know if I like you anymore. It feels so contrasting, but it's so good for us when we're in those moments to relate to this great person of obedience. David turned Israel into the most prosperous and just, and I would say God-fearing nation that Israel probably has ever had. David ruled in Jerusalem, sorry, his uh, rule in Jerusalem, his line, his lineage, uh, lasted 400 years before the exile. That's when it ended. And so it, he was a prominent figure of the Bible. He set so many things in motion to set the stage for Christ. But, you know, you got to know, David had seven wives. I don't want to get into that right now, but he had them that we know of in the Bible, right? There probably were more. He had 11 children listed in the Bible, and David's name means beloved. 
And so there's a lot to who he is as a person. There's so much that we can dig into and learn, but those are a few things I think are good just to know about this character who we can relate to in this series. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you for the humanity exposed in Scripture. And God, it's not perfectly curated. It's not how sometimes we want to present our life. But God, it exposes a relatability that we as people want to strive for as well, to be obedient. We strive to be like you, Jesus, but we know we are human like David. Help us be a a people who will listen and obey and follow and take great steps of faith. And God, I just ask that as we do this series, God, that you just enlighten our hearts, reveal to us things that you, through your spirit, are speaking to us as your people. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, The Anointed. This is the first part of David's journey. This is where he shows up on the scene. This is in 1 Samuel is when it happens. It's in verse 16. Uh, All of my notes in great detail are on the app, so you can download those if you want. But if you need to take notes just to follow along, feel free to do that as well. But David was anointed in this chapter. This is where David actually even comes on the scene. But I can't really tell you why David exists um, just from that passage. I have to kind of bring you along to why David is even a character in the Bible. Why does David even exist? And ultimately, I would say this is my sub-thought here, if you could just keep with you the whole time, is this is God's choice for his people. I feel like when God makes choices, they're much better than our choices. Every time. All the time. I think I know where I want to go. I think I know what I want to do. But God always has something that's better. But his choice always seems to be more difficult. Because it contradicts usually my intuition. But I'm just going to hit one thought the whole way in this. And it's just this. The path to David. And there was a path that was created to make David. David didn't just come because God just wanted David to just happen. He rose out of something that was happening in Israel. And I just think this is how it is. Every time there's terrible times or dealing with terrible people in the world, God will rise up people and and make them champions for him. And this is exactly what happens with David. More recent examples are you look at Mother Teresa. The poverty and the abandonment of people in India in her heart that God had risen her up to a place that everyone knows this person's name and her love for people. In a hard situation, he elevated her. Martin Luther King Jr., God elevated his voice. God rose up someone to fight and to really be a voice for a people who needed the voice. He will always do that. And these are recent examples now of God's champions. David was this voice a thousand years ultimately before Christ. But I'll bring you here really quick. God ultimately, if you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, tell me if you can relate to this. God says, this is what's best for you. And we say, we'll do what we want to do. Anybody relate to that? Now, we get mad with our kids when they do that, but why do we do it all the time? It feels hypocritical. I was listening to a comedian talk about hypocrisy, and he was saying, guys, hypocrisy is the best. 
Like, it's the best. You should try it. It's, it's great. Like, uh, once you try it, you're so free. You can do whatever you want and say whatever you want and tell other people to do things. It's wonderful. You know, listen, it, it is easy to slip down the road of, you know, looking at others and telling them what to do, but it's hard to do it yourself. But obedience is something that God's always asked from his people. And since the beginning, since the fall, it's, it's, a, it's a constant struggle between God and humanity. Will you trust him? Or will you trust what you can put your hands around, your eyes can see, or you can taste? Will you trust your king, ultimately? So God frees Israel 500 years prior to David. And he established something that Israel had not been used to, which is a theocracy, meaning that a people led and governed by God through Moses helping them, but from God. And this is ultimately, it's kind of funny when you think about this. This is where God is in revelation. He's amongst his people. We're his people. He's our God. And I will say this, Christ living inside of you is literally a theocracy happening with inside of you, right? Christ is in you. God is with you. He is governing you. You are following him. But Israel has this system, and they have a lot of judges that you read about in the Bible, and, and you know, for, four, for hundreds of years, 400 years. And, and, and it's, Israel is in this strange cycle. Tell me if you can relate to it, where it's like trouble comes. God's like, I told you not to do that. They cry out to God, and in his compassion for his people, he then will rescue and help them. And this goes on for years and years and years and years. You should read the book of Judges. It's pretty rough. In years. And eventually it comes to this guy, Samuel. And he's the last judge of Israel, and he is ultimately going to become the first kingmaker for Israel, where he's going to anoint a king, not by his choice, but by Israel's choice. Israel wants a king. God's been their king. But at the end of the day, they want to be protected. They want to have status. They want to have security. They look at other nations and they're going, I want what they have. This is truly a case of like keeping up with the Joneses. And God is like, hey, I've been leading you. And the only time you get into trouble is, the, is when you get distant from me and become less obedient to my word. And then I have to come in and help you. But they ultimately want to move from the theocracy to the monarchy. It feels more secure. It feels more safe. And so this is what they push for. But it's not the, the first time that's happened and it's not the last. Gideon, one of the judges, they wanted him to be their king. And he said, no, God's your king. He said the right thing. Jesus, we learned this in our men's discipleship group the other day in John chapter 6. The people wanted to make Jesus their king after he had fed them. They're like, oh my gosh, is this how it's going to be? Free food? This is amazing. You got to be king, right? Like, and he slips away and eludes them because our idea of what we think for security, our idea of governance is to let, make people that. But God is saying, I want to lead you. And, you know, we often lose sight and I would say this, God, that God is more than enough. This is what's happening in Israel at the time. God is more than enough. And 
And it, it's kind of a slap in the face when they're going like, okay, listen, we got, a, we got a problem. We're scared, and we need a king. And God is going, but I've always been there for you. I've always been more than enough. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But I'm not going to lie. And what happened in 1000 BC absolutely happens in our life in 2021 AD. We will sometimes go like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is good, this is good, okay, but I, I, God, you're good, I love it, appreciate it, you know, like we're just very much there, but really when it comes, push comes to shove, it's hard to just go, God, I completely trust you, and I'll follow your lead. I get the struggle, the struggle is real for sure, and so we can relate to these people at this time. They want someone else to run things for them other than God, because God kind of does what he wants not something they can really control. First Samuel 8, God ultimately says, you know, this is what he said. God never says this in the Bible. Give them what they want. That's what he says to Samuel. Give them what they want. Is that what they want? Give them what they want. So just so you know, God's never going to stop you from doing what you want. It will never be like, Jesus, take the wheel here. God will go, you want to do that. I don't want you to do that. But I'm not going to stop you from doing that. And God's like, give them what they want. They want a king. They don't want me to be their God, their king. Give them what they want. And, and it's interesting because Deuteronomy, way back, that Moses, that's written in, in, uh, with the people of Israel with Moses' time, Listen to this passage. Tell me if you can remember someone in the New Testament saying this. Deuteronomy 8. Man does not live on bread alone, but by the words that come from God's mouth. This is the system they had. Man does not live by bread alone. But listen, even though you may wonder, where's the food coming from? God's like, I have it. You have to just trust my word, my voice. Follow my voice. And this is where Israel says, we don't want to do that anymore. We're done. I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but how many times maybe in your faith have we done this? I I would like to call us back to that Deuteronomy passage. And Jesus quotes it when he's being tempted with bread and says, as it's been written, I'm not going to fall for what you are suggesting will be what nourishes me. I live by God's word. He will take care of me. This next section is really, I think, the, the, the meat of where the people's heart is at. And I don't know if you've, have you ever advised somebody of the consequences of what they told you they wanted to do and they didn't care? Have you ever had that? They're pouring their heart out and they're like, I think I need to do this. And you're like, you should not do that. I've seen this happen over and over and over I've been in this position a lot, okay? So, and I'm like, but I cannot stop you. And they're like, thank you for the good advice. I'm going to pray on that. And then they go and do it. And then later on, they're like, why, God? And you're just like, I, 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 tried, to, I tried to tell you. This is what happens right here. If you've ever been there, and you've ever felt that, where you just, why are you making the choice you're going to make? I'm even warning you of everything that's going to happen to you. And people will still Make the choice. First Corinthians 8, this is Samuel's warning. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what's in this passage because it's long, and I just brought out all the warnings. Here's what he says. You want a king, God tells Samuel, if they want a king, this is what's going to happen. Tell them, Samuel, if they want this, this is what's coming their way. 
They're going to take your sons for war. They're going to take the fields for harvest. They're going to choose the wars they want to choose now. They're going to take your daughters. They're going to take the beasts of the, fe- the best of the fields and the land for themselves and their friends. They're going to take a tenth of all the food for their servants and army. And they're going to make servants of the best boys and girls and also, God forbid, the donkeys as well. The tenth of all the flocks. And God says this at the end of that. He says, you're going to cry out to me and I'm not going to listen. This is a really hard piece of scripture. And you know what they say at the end of it? Yeah, give us a king. If you're a parent, you can completely relate to what I'm saying here right now. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've sat down with my kids and they're telling me something. And I'm warning them. And I'm like, this is going to happen just like this. And they're like... Yeah, yeah, i got to figure that out on my own. I'm like, oof, that's going to be tough. It's hard, and this is God's heart for his people. And he's going, but you still want a king. Okay, you can have him. This is the state of Israel, right? It, this isn't, I would say, like, it, this is also in a way we can relate to how we can be. Where no matter what's been presented, sometimes we go, but I still want that. That's still what I want to do. And we don't weigh the consequences. We don't weigh the fruit that we'll produce until we have to cry out to God. Thankfully, God doesn't give us this statement like he does Israel. God will listen to you. I feel like he will will come alongside of you, but it will be a painful lesson. We don't realize sometimes that God will sustain us, but we think that it's these other things that will sustain us, but they only take. They take and they take and they take. Did you know that God did not, or that, that uh, God picked Saul to be king? Have you ever heard that? Did you know that Israel did not pick Saul to be king? Did you know this? Most people would say that Israel wanted him because of these features. God, God picked Saul. God led Saul to Samuel through this crazy, weird story in the Bible. And they wanted a king. They didn't pick Saul, but God picked him for him. And if you really look at what's being said around Saul, you'll realize why he picked Saul. He picked the person that they would have picked, not who he would have picked. God gave them the kind of king that they would choose. He was rich, he was tall, and he was good looking. Doesn't that sound about right? He, was, he had all the means. He came from the right pedigree. His family was wealthy. He had influence. He was a head taller than everyone else. He was quite a specimen. Truly tall, dark, and handsome, right? And Israel would have loved this type of leader. And this is, I think, why God ultimately gave him to them. 1 Samuel 12, 12, it says, And when they saw, when you saw, Samuel's telling the people, and this is when the, 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 the kingship happens. When you saw uh, Nahash, the king of the Amorites, you came, uh, they came against you. You said to me, no, 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 all that stuff you said about not having a king, no. But the king shall reign over us. We want him anyways. And when the Lord was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen. For whom you have asked for. Behold the Lord has set the king, above, uh, uh, has set the king over you. 
It's interesting because when you read about it, and Samuel anoints Saul and he also anoints David, he doesn't use the word king, he uses the word prince. And David is called prince often. I know we call him King David now. But he's prince because God is king. Even in this whole charade that they're running through, God is still king. He orchestrates everything, he does everything, and he says if you or your people disobey, you and your king will pay the price. And so God is ultimately king in all the situation. But he gave them what they wanted, and check this out, in a very short period of time. Everything in Samuel 8, you know, take, 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 take. Saul did all of that. But in addition, he took men to war and by, th- by threats of ultimately taking or destroying them. Fear from the people. He feared people way more than he feared God. And he acted even in the place of Samuel, this priest, this judge, Just because he was so afraid and worried people would leave him. He needed things to happen. His ego actually hurt his men. And he continued with his ego to the point where it almost killed his own son. He didn't trust or honor any of the victories for God ultimately. And uh, I would say this. He was more obedient to the people than God. And this was ultimately his undoing. And and I would say this, every single year of Saul's life, they were in war. So he was not the leader Israel thought that they wanted. He was one who brought them into a very tough place. But kings, and this is what ultimately Samuel is pointing out, kings take and they take and they take. And God gives and he gives and he gives. If we can contrast this with our lives today... And we can think of God as a giver. And these other things that we will put our trust in as they are takers. We can separate that and not fall down the same path that many people or us sometimes have gone down. Or like Israel, right? But I would say this, ultimately, is what is it that overtakes us when it comes time to trusting God in our obedience or trusting in the things that we feel will deliver us? And I think the thing, in my opinion, it's always fear. It's going to be fear. When God asks to do something that seems almost miraculous, it'll be fear that stops us and goes into trusting other things. When God asks us to take a step forward in faith for the gospel, it will be fear that pulls us back because we don't want to feel what we might think we might feel from others. It will always be fear, and this is what's gripped these people. And I would say that today, you know... (laughs) A lot of us, we've had many, many, many things that we have fallen into fear. You know what I mean? And I get it. But God is continually asking us to be like David, which we'll see, where he's a man of obedience. And almost seems in a way fear will not get in the way of obedience to Christ. Okay, Saul was one of the, I would say this, he was, wasn't the one of obedience, and this is why he couldn't be king. This is why he couldn't be used in the way. First Samuel 5, 35. After he absolutely does this horrific act of disobedience to God, of God's direct guidance, then God's had enough, and Samuel's had enough. And it says this, even after this has happened, and God, Samuel told him he couldn't be king anymore, it says, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. That's kind of a really hard scripture theologically. 
that God regretted doing this. I'm not sure how strong that statement should be taken in the, in the light of a lot of scripture, but ultimately you see that it grieved God's heart as well that Saul was even one to lead his people. His priorities were off, and he wasn't doing what God wanted to do. He was doing what he was afraid of. But I would say this, this is my encouraging thought as we read David's passages and we'll start to wrap up, is that, you know, we must seek what, what God sees over what we think we see. At the, we must, we have to seek the way God provides over the way we think things should go. We have a real problem. Just why people would have picked Saul like this. We, we will tend to judge and we will intellectualize and we will say, this is exactly how this will work or this makes sense or perfect sense. But at the end of the day, what made David great was even in the midst of what he could have reasoned to do better, he always went with, what do you want to do, God? I'll do it. And Saul had this problem where he couldn't. He went with his reason or his fear. And this is a good challenge to us. We've got to seek what God provides over what we think we want every time. 1 Samuel 16, 1. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from the beginning, uh, from being king over Israel? He said, Fill your horn with oil, the anointing oil, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and I have provided for myself a king among the sons. Israel had their shot. I have my choice. And I will say this, that every time God chooses, like we had said, it's always better. And he chooses for himself because he does something we cannot do. He peers into the heart. He examines the heart. We all love a good underdog story, do we not? March Madness, oh, I almost had like five underdog stories this year and then they got crushed but the thing is we love to see somebody do something who nobody thought of and had written off but this is what God does all the time because something happens he peers into the heart we can never judge something by its cover I would say this every expectation people have God shatters them all every time when he's at work Think about how many times that you thought you had an expectation and God absolutely destroyed your expectation. Does, has that ever happened to you? Right? It happens. I do this. I think like this is exactly how it's going to work. And he just absolutely destroys my expectations. And then he shows me ultimately something better in the way he operates. I don't think you can name a character in the Bible that was somebody who broke all the expectations. You can't name me one. Even Paul. Probably the best example in the Bible. Even Paul, intellectual, leader, right? He, he was the top of the top of his class, and all of that was for nothing because he became Paul the Apostle. And people hated him. They never honored him for his, uh, his uh, credentials. God always used the most unlikely people, and you are one of those unlikely people. You, you cannot wait for someone who's more qualified before you're obedient to God. You are the story of David. You are a character in God's great story. Here's the anointing, and then we'll close. First Corinthians, or sorry, first, wow, first Samuel 16, 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, 
Are all your sons here? Because Jesse's like, yeah, yeah, you should meet my top kids, my other kid. He's out with the sheep, right? This is the perfect setup for the story. And he said, there remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. And he was a, this is interesting. He was a Rudy and a beautiful eyes and he was handsome. I don't know what's going on with this, but I think it's a statement of just that David actually, God's chosen one, wasn't actually the complete opposite, I guess. I don't know. Or David wanted to look good when Samuel wrote this. Who knows? Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day, and the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. This is what God does. I, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what your background is. I don't know how much you know about the Bible. And I, I frankly don't care how much you know about the Bible. I care in, dis, in, in, in discipleship, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hinder your faith or obedience anymore if you don't know the word inside and out. You can't explain passages left and right. It's good to know. It's good to invest. But you can't count yourself out. This kid was a shepherd. This kid, nobody wanted. <laughs> no, nobody even called him in for dinner. You know, you know what I'm saying? He's the last picks for dodgeball. This is not the king, right? This is not who we think should be king. But yet God said something to Samuel because Samuel was seeing the older brother and he was like, ooh, he's tall. This is good. Seems respectable. And God stops him immediately and says, I don't do that. I look at the heart. And that is who will be my king. When God chooses, he always chooses right. David was definitely the looked over one. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But I think there's something great on the other end of your accepting your, uh, the faith in God and the obedience to him. He will do something great. He was the youngest, and he was counted out by people, but he was definitely counted on by God. This is what makes his story great. And I don't think you're any different than the story of David when God is saying, I want to use people who are obedient to me and watch what I do with their story. It happens all the time. It's not just Mother Teresa. It's not just Martin Luther King Jr. It's your story is in there too. I wanted to close with this last passage. It's, it's unusual because it's not in the Bible, but it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's been so much debate on whether David wrote this or not, but it's a fascinating find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is prior to Christ. It's from a quorum community that had these scrolls. They were all rolled up individually. They weren't in some chronological order like we have Psalms. But they're calling it Psalm 51. Psalms only goes to Psalm 50. And it's a writing of the only clear psalm about David's youth at this moment. And the psalmist writes this. We, 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 we think it may be David. We don't know. But it's called Hallelujah of David. And you probably have never heard this before. But it says this, I was smaller than my brothers, the youngest of my father's son. He made me a shepherd of his flocks. He ruled over uh, uh, his kid goats. My hands made an instrument and my fingers uh, a lyre, uh, an instrument. 
It says, let me give glory to God, I said in my mind. The mountains cannot witness to God. The hills cannot proclaim him. But the trees have cherished my words, the flocks, my deeds. For who, who can claim or, or proclaim? Who can announce? Who can declare my deeds? The Lord of all Saul, the God of all. He heard and listened. In verse 5, God sent his prophet to anoint me, Samuel. And uh, to make me great, my brothers went out. Uh, to, uh, my, sorry, my brothers went out to meet him, handsome in figure and appearance. Of course, although their stature was tall and their hair was beautiful, so jealous. The Lord God did not choose them. Verse seven. Instead, he sent and fetched me. From behind the flock and anointed me with holy oil and made me leader of his people, ruler over the children of his covenant. I really like that. And it probably was very encouraging to ancient Hebrews when they would read this scroll, this psalm. And there were many psalms that weren't all collected and this might be one of them that got discovered. But when you read it, they go, wow, God chooses the obscure person. And they felt that way as the people. God chooses the outs. God chooses the unusual, the unlikely. Ones that the world wouldn't always choose. And why does he do it? Because when he does his work, his glory shines so bright. Have you ever had a miracle or something miraculous, or something God has done, and you only say these words, God, like God did it. I had, I couldn't even imagine doing it. Have you ever said that? That's God's glory on display for people to hear. I don't know how this could have happened. Only God could have done it. His glory shines very bright through obscure people in obscure places. I'll say this and we'll close in prayer. What can we learn from um, God's choice here ultimately that when God chooses it's always better than our choice is this, is that God is king. He will always be king. He's king. He was king in the beginning. He's king in the end. We're just playing house essentially. We try to sit in his seat and others do as well but it will always fail. Every time. And I would say this, faith and dependence on God is always better than the alternative. Have you realized this in life yet? It is always better than the alternative. Faith and dependence in God, and that's what we learn from David's story here. And then God looks at the heart. And I think he, we should ask as a people, let's see how, what God sees. I could probably judge all of you if I wanted to just by, um, by the cover. But that's not how God does that. We probably do that with each other all the time, don't we? Well, we'll see someone and we'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that person. Don't act like you've never done this. You look at me so judgmental. And, and, and we'll think like, oh, I'm being wise. I'm being good. But you know what? God, somehow, I don't know if you've ever been surprised by someone. You're like, I judged you and I shouldn't have. You have blown me away. We want to see how God sees. We want to we follow what he's speaking And God will most likely take someone from obscurity and increase his glory brightly. Never count out those who have been counted out. And I would say this, the true anointed one lives in you. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He lives in you. 
And I think that, to me, that's what David was celebrating in the Psalms. That's why he would be so passionate and joyous. He would dance in the streets. Not because he was king, because of who he served and who was on his side. And I think that sometimes we lose track of that. But the fact is, is that every single day you'll have to make God your king. Christ seated at the, the heart and on the throne. And every day it will be a reminder of like, no, no, I have a king. I don't need to be someone who appoints other kings or myself. It's a good lesson to learn from Israel. And it's a good lesson to learn for our faith today. Is that we want to be like David. We want to live a life of obedience. And God will do miraculous things with us. And he will accomplish his mission at a greater rapid pace than you would ever imagine when people are people of obedience to God. Let's, um, let's bow our heads. We're going to take communion. And we're going to take a moment to just reflect as we are taking communion, as we are giving God the seat in our heart. We are taking a different course and reminding ourselves who the King of Kings is and the Lord of Lords. Then as a people, when Jesus asked his disciples, like, when you eat this, I want you to think of my body being broken for you. And when you drink this, I want you to think of my blood that brought redemption and life to you. Let's be like David and celebrate. And, and, and ultimately, let our joy of our heart leap. Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Gave and gave and gave and gave for you. He did not take and take and take and take, but he gave. And that's what communion is about. It's a community of people from different walks of life that we can on the surface judge if we want to, but we know that we are people who are knit by the heart. And we want to see like God sees as a community of believers and so it's a time when we start worship. Um, I want to encourage you, just take a moment with the communion where you're at and have a moment with God. Maybe give him the seat back. Maybe learn from the lessons of Israel and say, listen, I've been running my life a little too much myself, but God, I want to give you the seat back. I mean, God's been king over your life the whole time anyways. But recognition of it will lead you into obedience to it. And so maybe that's a conversation we need to have when we take communion as this moment to recognize that we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords seated on our heart. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much. And God, there's so much to talk about with the story, God. I thank you for the journey you're going to take us on with the story, God, of David. And so many things we can personally learn and from it and I thank you that you are speaking to many hearts in here mine included about seeking to live a life of obedience yes I cannot be like Christ exactly but I can sure enough live like David in obedience to you with that heart we're human but God we want to live like you Jesus and God I ask that any of us in here who have uh, in our minds thinking through some charade that we sit on the seat of our life, God, that we just re-recognize, we re-acknowledge that you are the Lord of our life. Jesus, your place is firmly in our heart and that your spirit be with us like David all the rest of our days. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. And whenever you're free, whenever you want to, you can stand and sing worship when you're done with communion or now.